All right, well, let's give it up to the worship team. Amen. Uh, you know, I really love that song, How Great Is Our God, uh, and I believe that it's a spirit working because that's what we're going to be talking about uh, this afternoon is just how great and amazing our God is. Amen. Amen. Do you guys believe that this afternoon? Yeah. Amen. All right. Uh, let's see. I forgot my little clicker. That's important. Uh, but if you guys can see by the slide, we're going to be continuing with our holy series. Uh, and if you guys uh, can kind of tell, the Sweeney's are not here today. Uh, because Danielle is out on the retreat with the rest of our uh, L.A. staff, uh, and Scott is enjoying uh, just a trip with his son out in Georgia. They're going on a hunting trip. Uh, and so if you guys can kind of get the gist of this book, this, what we're reading, uh, really our ministers who are working so hard, really building up our church and being used by God is, is practicing what it means to rest and enjoy times either with God, with God's people, or even with their own family. So keep praying for them as they're coming back. Uh, help them to feel rejuvenated and just feel loved and embraced when they come back. Amen. Uh, everyone, turn your Bible to Numbers 13. Uh, man, I'm coming in hot right now. Numbers 13. When's the last time we ever read Numbers, right? Uh, but that's what we're going to read today. We're going to look at um, one of my uh, favorite stories in the Old Testament. Uh, but in Numbers 13... Uh, Starting in verse one, it says, the Lord said to Moses, uh, send, send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm given to the Israelites from each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. And so at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. So when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, maybe few or many. Uh, What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile? Is it poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in this desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly uh, and showed them the fruit of the land. And so you're probably wondering why we're reading this scripture, uh, but it's going to be important. It's going to be a great time in God's word. Amen. And so our time today is called It Will Be Fine. Uh, everyone say, it will be fine. It will be fine. Tell, tell your neighbor, it's, it's, it will be fine. <laughs> right? I know when I hear that from someone, it's, it's, it's kind of comforting, right? I, I like it when someone says, it will be fine, you know. But how many of us, when we go through a time of deep pressure, maybe we're going through a problem, the first thing we do is try to persuade ourselves it, it will be fine. Right? Who did that either this week? Who did that this past week? Maybe this month, this past year? Maybe convince yourself, oh, man, it will be fine. Right? Uh, you, know, uh, you know, I'm sure most of you know, uh, and Alicia shared this with some of the women, uh, but we adopted a dog a few months back. Uh, and so this is Kobe. Uh, we named it after Kobe Steakhouse on Highway 111. Uh, that, is, that is false. As you can tell by the Lakers hat, we, I'm a big Lakers fan. So I named it after the goat Kobe. Uh, but Kobe is a Shiba Inu. So that's, a, that's the kind of breed he is. He looks like a German Shepherd, but I trust you he is not. Uh, something interesting about Shibas is that they have cat-like personalities. So we kind of knew this. Uh, adopting him, 
but they're bold, courageous dogs. They're clean. Um, they love to lick themselves. Uh, they don't like puddles or mud. Uh, they're super independent. Uh, but I, as you guys can also know by the name, right, they're also super, like, memeable. So there's a lot of, like, Shiba memes. Uh, cryptocurrency is named after them. I don't know why. Um, but they're cute dogs, right? Uh, but something that they're notorious for is something called the Shiba scream. The Shiba scream. And so I have a video to kind of show you guys, but this is what the Shiba scream will look like. There's a Shiba at the vet. <laughs> all, right. all right, we're done with that. Uh, so that's what you call the Shiba scream. Now, I knew about the Shiba scream because I love this video. I think it's so funny uh, how this dog at the vet is super happy but also scared at the same time, as you can tell by this, uh, this smile. Uh, but, you know, I never really understood or experienced the Shiba scream until earlier this week. You know, on Tuesday night, right, since Kobe's kind of getting a little bigger, uh, he loves to jump on stuff. So he doesn't jump on the couch a lot, but he tried to jump on our bed. Uh, and he was halfway there, like it was such a good attempt. He was like halfway there, started clawing his way on our bed just to make sure he doesn't fall. Uh, but because of, uh, you know, not getting enough air, he just slowly like slid off the bed, as you can kind of imagine that, right? Uh, but when he slid off the bed, he like landed on his side and he screamed like this for maybe five minutes. And it was like, like the highest, like, I don't know, the highest decibel. It, it startled Alicia and I. We, we had no idea what, what to do. Um, and you know, it was the Sheba scream, right? And so Alicia and I rushed immediately over to Kobe. We started to pet him. We started to cuddle him, but he kept screaming. And it was so loud that we just felt bad for our neighbors and we like could not stop him. Uh, so to the point, I think like at the three minute mark, I like kind of like try to muzzle his mouth and just whispered like, it will be fine. It will be fine. <laughs> right. And Alicia's freaking out. And I'm like, Alicia, it'll be fine. It will be fine. Right. <laughs> you know, but that's that was our Tuesday night. Just this Sheba scream for maybe 10 minutes. But he's fine now. Right. But how many of us can sometime relate, so, sometimes relate with this? Right. Maybe some of us can relate with little Kobe. Maybe something startles you. Maybe something sets you off, sets you off the rails and gets you overwhelmed that you start maybe screaming, uh, emotionally startled. Uh, probably you're hiding it and you like to hide it. So you're kind of like this dog in the video where you don't know whether to smile or to scream or, you know, like there's like this weird emotional tug of war going. Or maybe you can be like me. Uh, that when something crazy happens in our life, all we want to do is maybe control the situation. Have this immediate desire to want to alleviate the problem and repeat to ourselves and convince ourselves that it, it, it will be fine. Right? It will be fine. You know, I think we are approaching this, uh, this chapter, or chapter four of Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Uh, and the book is starting to develop a lot more as we start to apply a lot of these deep emotional concepts into a more kind of practical space, right? Trying to um, see how it applies to our day-to-day life. You know, chapter four for me, if you haven't read it, has been an eye-opening read because the title is called Journey Through the Wall. Journey Through the Wall. 
So what, what are these emotional and spiritual walls that take form in our lives? Right? And how do they heavily impact us in our walk with God? And what is God's plan when he puts us in front of a wall? Amen. So, but first, as we spend more time together this afternoon breaking down this chapter, I think we first need to identify what these walls are. Right? What these walls are. And so, you know, walls, you know, if you think about the Bible, the Bible is filled with stories of ordinary men and women uh, who, you know, are being called to a life that is above their own understanding, that is above of their own capabilities. But through God's love and trust, they go on this journey that changes their lives and changes the lives of others around them. So I think about people like Abraham. I think of people like Moses, Esther, um, Peter and the disciples. And as we read these stories about these, uh, about these men and women and the great thing about seeing their lives being laid out in the Bible is that although they did remarkable things in their faith, they went through adversity. They went through setback after setback because why? They're still human in the eyes of God, right? And so we're learning from humans like us. And they feel it completely. They feel the pressure completely. And I think about the scripture in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9, and it's Paul talking, and Paul has faced setback after setback uh, and, and wrote about it. That's why we have the New Testament, amen, uh, and so in 2 Corinthians 4, 8, 9, it says, We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, but not destroyed. And I love Paul's understanding of the hardship as a disciple, that although that this is a hardship, right, that I devote my life to Christ, that it is me who no longer lives, but it is Christ that lives within me, that it does have obstacles to bear, but that's... Not it, right? That, that's, not, that's not the whole picture, that it could be worse, right? But thanks to God, it's not. As hard as our lives can be as disciples, it's not. And, and although I read the scripture and I think to myself, well, Paul is better than me, <laughs> right? Paul could be better than us in our faith. We're not, uh, we, we can not, as, we're not be as zealous at times, um, you know, because I think about when I'm hard-pressed, uh, I won't feel anything else but crushed, right? My spirit, my motivation, I can be discouraged if I'm just pressed by life. You know, if I'm perplexed, I don't even know what that word means, but I feel it. Um, I can feel perplexed, right? Persecuted, I'll cower in my faith. If I feel struck down, I'll start to even question my faith, right? How many of us can probably relate? You know, the hardest part about that is God knows it too, God knows where my spirit can go, where I feel pressured. And whatever weakness we may struggle with, if we aren't faithful and trusting in God, we can convince ourselves that we are much more of what we aren't. Right? But the beauty in our story here in Numbers is that God envisioned for them to inherit the promised land. And, and God knew that they were ready. God knew that they were ready to go to advance to this promised land. But the Israelites just kept stumbling over their faithlessness over their lack of trust. And, and God wasn't focused on correcting them every single time, but ensuring that they learned, right? That they were learning in the process. And uh, I love that that's the God who we worship, right? That he knows and is patient with us. And, you know, God puts us in that same journey. We are being called to learn how powerful and essential faith is when we encounter these walls, right? It's important. 
So what we're going to do is we're going to break the story down even more. We're going to read in between the lines and see God's direction to the Israelites at this time. Uh, and, and God's direction really helps to build courage of these faithless Israelites uh, when they survey what would be the promised land. So each point is going to be broken up into a memorable acronym. I call it the three P's, something that I myself am um, working to really apply in my own Christian walk. Amen. Uh, and so uh, the first one is prepare. The first piece to prepare, prepare your faith. And so in Numbers 13, um, starting in verse 17, let's continue on our story. Uh, we're going to repeat uh, what we just read uh, just to kind of see what this idea of preparing will look like. And so again, we read, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and onto into the hill country. See what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile? Is it poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. You know, what we see here is Moses decided what information we needed or they needed before people could enter the promised land. He knew this is what we need. He took these careful steps and information and made sure that the spies who were called up knew exactly what the task at hand was. Right. And so so this call for Moses was prepared for by God. If you caught it at the beginning of this uh, chapter, that really God prepared this task for Moses. So this uh, this task, as we read on, was not an easy task. But we learn about the idea of walls and problems or challenges that God puts. And what we learn is that they never really appear in inopportune times. They, these walls don't appear in, in moments where we don't expect it. But how many times in our lives have we stumbled on an obstacle uh, and immediately questioned God's goodness? That's the first response is when something bad happens, all we want to ask God is, God, why did you not prevent this? Can you take this away from me? Right. But we learn from the book that it's God who brings us to the wall. Right. So it's not just in the cards, but it's God bringing us to the wall. And so the author compares it to seasons, that we cannot control the time or the occurrence of when these things happen. And when things are blurry, you know, my faith starts to get into contention a bit. And these are maybe things in my life or just recently that, uh, that might have happened or that has popped up in my life that really challenges my faith and maybe it challenged yours, Right? Maybe it's the thinking about the future, this idea of what's going to happen, what, what does tomorrow look like, right? Maybe it's security, financial security. Mikhail kind of touched base on that, right? That there's things, there's uh, bills or, 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 or things that we just need to focus on, and it's really hard to feel secure in the wealth that God has given us. Maybe it's your job. You know, I think about, man, the work that I'm doing, am I progressing in it? Am I growing? Am I growing in my character? Am I walking with my spouse? Am I maintaining my friendships? Maybe something crazy, uh, devastating has happened to you these past few months. Maybe this past couple years. Have you lost your job? Has your health scared you? Have you lost a loved one? Are you experiencing traumatic and sudden changes? What's your wall right now? What wall are you facing today? Because these walls, they may feel unbearable. And the hard truth is that these walls, because they are used by God, 
will continue to be something we encounter on a continual basis if we choose to walk with Him. And that's the hard truth. But we see men and women encounter walls and go through them in the Bible. So, pretty much, if you kind of catch that, we are just part of a process that God has been using for millenniums. Right? That God will always kind of put a wall in front of us before our own good. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that in James 1, 2-4. If you guys can read that on the message uh, translation. I, I really like this translation. It says, Consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith, life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. I love that. You know, we need moments when we encounter these walls to prepare our faith, right? This call by James to know that life under pressure is normal. <laughs> Amen? It's normal. And, and again, this idea that hardship is in fact this process where God kind of takes us, uh, uses to help, or he uses it to help you develop. Uh, and, and this is a biblical concept. And so, but these developments don't stop at you feeling like, okay, well, I, I think I finished, or I'm in the finish line, or I feel complete. But it's this continual cycle of God preparing you more and more for even the more difficult tasks that life has to offer you. So God doesn't give up on you. God causes you to grow. God doesn't leave you in the dust when life gets hard. That's the bottom line, amen? Like God doesn't leave you. Prepare your faith. And uh, a, good, a good saying to maybe remember this point is a successful journey is only possible when successfully prepared. A successful journey is only possible when successfully prepared. And so when making decisions or assuming responsibilities, maybe something new pops up, we need to remember two steps that Moses mirrors here in this, in this passage when he's asking these spies what to look for. Is that one, we gotta ask ourselves what God wants us to know about this opportunity. We gotta ask ourselves, okay, God, what are you trying to show me? And even in that process, be humble to learn, obtain information, and ask for guidance. And this can take the form of advice, um, having counsel. You know, the Bible really talks about how we win wars when we have a counsel, when we prepare, right? And so, we gotta pre- prepare our faith when new things pop up that may Throw us off the rails. Amen. So let's continue our story here in Numbers 13, 26, 33. This is going to lead us to our second point. It says, They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. So the spies that Moses sent just came back. And this is the report that they gave him. So they gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us. And it does flow with milk and honey. Here is the fruit. But the people who live there are powerful. And the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Gev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land. For we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. 
And they spread among the Israelite a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are great size. We saw the Nephilim there. The descendants of Anak come from the Nephilim. And we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we looked the same to them. Wow. A development in the story, right? And so the second is perceive your faith. Perceive your faith. And so the way we see the wall determines the steps we're willing to take to overcome it. The way you see the wall determines the steps we're willing to take to overcome it. And so I don't know about you guys, but have you guys ever like entered a restaurant that you probably have never gone to? Uh, you probably yelped it or something, and you don't really know what the food looks like. But when you walk in and see the different orders that people got based off of how it looks, you can kind of already tell if it's going to taste good or not. Are you guys like me? Like, I, I like to look at food. Uh, and I'm wondering, okay, like, I wonder if this restaurant is going to taste good. So I'm going to look at what they serve. And I'm like, okay, it looks good. It probably is going to taste good, right? And so, you know, you don't even have to taste it to know. I think for me, I can just get confident just by the look of the food, you know? And so I have some pictures of food. And as you can kind of tell, it looks good, right? Just by the way it looks. You see how that basil just kind of like droops over that ball of spaghetti? Beautiful. I don't even know what the right one is. It looks really good though, right? Are there any meat lovers in this, in this, in this place? Meat lovers? Now check this out. How good does that look? You can see the pepper. You can see a little char on it. Probably looked like it got smoked in Darren Yester's house. Um, man, it looks great, right? I just want to eat it, but it's on the screen. It's virtual. But I'm going to show you guys some photos, and you probably will get kind of what I'm getting at. But check, check out these two dishes. Look how gross that looks. I don't even know what that is. It looks like SpaghettiOs and some Vienna sausage in the middle. And, like, the right looks like something that I would eat in college because I was poor. So it's just, like, bread and cheese, and I don't even know what that black stuff is. You know? I don't know if I have something else, more, But, yeah, we'll look at that. Right? You know, when we see a problem, it only takes kind of a quick glance when, to look at it, right? And then once we look at it, 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 it's really quick for us to start spiraling into conclusions that we make for ourselves. When, when we see a wall, we, we kind of spiral quickly into these weird conclusions based off of just what we see. Because what we see dictates what we feel towards the issue. You know, the Israelites came back to report to Moses that this land is everything that God told them that it would be. That it's flowing with milk and honey. That here's the fruit. It's, it, it, it bears fruit. Right? But what did they see? They saw enemies. They saw a wall. They saw literal walls. Right? They chose to retreat rather than to, than to advance. And God saw this faithlessness as their biggest downfall, which then resulted to them wandering the desert for 40 more years, right? Because of this decision, they were stuck in Kadesh. They were in Kadesh at the time, right? But if you read on, they become so stuck that even in Kadesh is where Moses disobeys God uh, and loses his ticket to the promised land. Even in Kadesh is where Aaron and Miriam, they, they were there for so long that Aaron and Miriam died in Kadesh, right? And so it just goes to show that what their lack of faith can do can hold them back even for more than a lifetime, but bless Caleb for his faith, right? He says, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. 
You know, Caleb saw what was before them and what he saw didn't trigger any fear. His courage, his faith was reliant on his understanding of God and not his confidence if the Israelites were physically capable. You know, I believe he couldn't agree with the majority because he didn't want to disagree with God. You know, my people are just faithless, but I got to remember that God promised this land to Moses, right? And so in the book, where people tend to get stuck in the walls, and this is an emotionally healthy spirituality, it talks about how we get stuck in these walls is when we get too attached to feelings rather than God himself. You know, we can make the mistake of putting our feelings first, even in a a spiritual response, attempting to try to be faithful. You know, when a problem I can't handle pops up, when I feel like there's an issue after issue, I get attached to the feeling that God can help me overcome rather than having complete faith and trust that God has the power to help me overcome. Does that make sense? Did you see that, the difference? Because I can rely on this feeling, you know, God is powerful, God... You know, I love the way that God's power makes me feel, and I can rely on that. But rather, I lose faith and focus. No, God God has a power on his own, and he doesn't need to rely on my faith, right? But yet, he calls me to be faithful and trust in him, because God has true power. So we cannot mistake the sensations we get from our feelings to the true power that God really has. And I truly believe that God, uh, that Caleb saw what God was prepared to do, and he wasn't afraid to stand up for what he saw. In 1 John 4, 16, 18, it talks about this idea of love, that God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in Love. And so what problems in this world causes us to fear so much that God's love is not enough to give us rest? What problem in this world is so great that it causes us to fear and it causes us to lose focus on God's power? You know, the minimal problems don't provide maximum perspective. How little you look at life will not provide the maximum perspective of what God wants to give to you. We need to strengthen the way we see things. We need to strengthen the way we perceive. God is capable of so much more, and his goodness is too great to be undermined by life circumstance, no matter how we are affected by them. Amen. Psalm, 30, or Psalm 34, verse 8. Um, it's not First John 4, 16, 18. We just read that. But Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Right, I love how it says that. How do we experience God's goodness? We taste and we see it. Right? That God is God's goodness is like that brisket plate, not that Vienna sausage plate, right? It's good. We want it. We we need it. But I love how it even says to see it. So the way we perceive, the way we see God's goodness can dictate how our faith can respond to life circumstances. Let's read on. This is going to be our last passage and our last point. Is going to lead us to our third and final one, but in Numbers 14, 26, 38. Uh, this is going to be a long one, so, uh, so bear with me. Uh, but let's read kind of a, a, a development of this. So the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, How long will this wicked community grumble against me? 
I've heard the complaints of these grumbling Israelites. So tell them as surely as I live, declares the Lord, I will do to you the very thing I heard you say. In the wilderness, your bodies will fail. Every one of you, 20 years old or more, who was counted in the census and has grumbled against me, not one of you will enter the land I swore uh, with uplifted hands to make your home except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, son of Nun. And we'll read on to verse 34. It says, For forty years, one year, for each of the forty days you explored the lands, you will suffer for your sins. And know what it is like to have me against you. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will surely do these things to the whole wicked community, which has banded together against me. They will meet their end in the wilderness. Here they will die. So the men Moses had sent to explore the lands who returned and made the whole community grumble against him by spreading a bad report about it. These men who were responsible for spreading the bad report about the land that was struck down has died of a plague before the Lord. Of the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, survived. This is God. God is powerful. God is going to move according to his own time. And unfortunately, what happened to these 12 spies, uh, or 10 spies, did not happen to Joshua and Caleb because of their great faith. And so this leads us to our third and final point, which is to protect your faith. Protect your faith. You know, fast forward through this, we know that the Israelites occupy the promised land. Amen? So, yes, the Israelites repented. They went to the promised land. Joshua succeeds after, J- after Moses and was successful because he learned to be obedient to what was key, to helping him stay connected to his faith. And that's the key part. And in Joshua 1, verse 5 to 9, and we know this scripture well, and in the message version it says, After the death of Moses, the servant of God spoke to Joshua. Moses' assistant. In the same way I was with Moses, I'll be with you. I won't give up on you. I won't leave you. Strength, courage, you are going to lead these people to inherit the land that I promised to give their ancestors. Give it everything you have, heart and soul. Make sure you carry out the revelation that Moses commanded you. Every bit of it, don't get off track either left or right, so as to make sure you get to where you're going. And don't for a minute let this book of the Revelation be out of mind. Ponder, meditate on it day and night, making sure you practice everything written in it. Then you'll get to where you're going. Then you'll succeed. Haven't I commanded you strength, courage, don't be timid, don't be discouraged. God, your God, is with you every step you take. Amen. I love this scripture. You know, in chapter 4, it talks about how there's three steps to help overcome the walls. One, a greater level of brokenness. So do we navigate through our lives not realizing that we are broken people before God and before others? And if we don't understand that, then how can we really approach God with our true authentic self? Number two, a greater appreciation for the holy and knowing. And what does that mean is, you know, the book, it says, the more I know about God, the more I know less of him. And that's the truth. Because most of the time, we know nothing what God is doing. We don't know the full comprehension of, or we don't have this full comprehension of God. And it's key that if we are a church that overcomes these walls, that we inherit a childlike heart before God. That there's this curiosity, there's this like amazement when we learn something new. And the third one is a deeper ability to wait on God. And this is huge. This is important because I think we need to be able to wait on God. But with the faith that 
what God has promised, you know, we have to realize that he will provide. Right. And even when things don't pan out immediately, even when it feels and looks messy, do we have the patience to wait on God? And I love how it phrases this as a deeper ability, because it means that we have the temptation to wait on God, but in a very shallow way. Right. But when we do wait on God, when we have faith that it causes us that God wants us to continually dig deeper and deeper and try to figure out what it really means to be faithful. And we grow every time we try to dig deeper. But the only way we truly wait on God is if we maintain and protect our connection with God. And so a connection with God is not a feeling, but a reality. A connection with God is not a feeling, but a reality. And so in closing, the scripture in John 15, 4 to 8, uh, it says, Live in me, make your home in me, just as I do in you. In the same way that a branch can't bear grapes by itself, but only by being joined to the vine, you can't bear fruit unless you are joined with me. I am the vine. You are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation, intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. So Jesus calls us to live in him. And this is the gospel. This is the power of communion. When we encounter these walls, no matter how high, how wide, how unbearable, how uncomfortable, how difficult, how painful, the faith we have in God, the trust we have in his power, that will be our guide to help us get through. And so if we prepare our faith by reminding ourselves of God's promises, how the Bible is a record of times that God has pulled through on every promise he made. If we perceive the problems with a side of faith, we don't scale our problems big enough that causes us to stumble in our reliance with God, that we see it in a way that God calls us to have a side of faith. Right? That there's nothing that God can't do. And the third is to protect our faith. If we protect our faith, Our connection with God is the single most important thing in this world. And I hope no circumstance can cause you to lose these roots that you have. That is the love that you have in God. Troubles will come your way. But if we give God our heart, uh, and it starts with a mustard seed of faith, that I'm faithful, that it will be fine. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and, and bow for a word of prayer and as we take communion. Heavenly Father, God, Lord, thank you so much for just our time here today. Uh, God, that you allowed the Spirit to really speak uh, through stories that may we may have glanced over. Uh, God, and it's so crazy to know the journey that you've taken the Israelites uh, and how their faithlessness has caused them to stumble. Uh, God, they are human. Uh, God, but you showed your grace. You showed your patience time and time again. God, that you promised Abraham, God, this, this land... Uh, God, and you delivered them despite of the ways that they have rebelled against you, that they have hurt you, that they have mocked you, God. But we are here because of those promises. God, we are here. We get to take communion. We get to reflect on the death and resurrection of your son, uh, that we get to uh, revere God in, in your power and your grace, that we can feel redeemed by our past, our histories, that we don't need to feel shame or guilt. Uh, God, and even at times where we can be like these Israelites, God, that you continue to call us to be patient. You call us to journey through these walls 
uh, and, and allow us to have this faith that we prepare, that we um, perceive and fight to look at it uh, in the lens that causes us to rely on you, but you also call us to protect it. God, help us to be a church that is a light in this world. Help us to be a church that has faith uh, that we can journey on in life's different walls. Uh, God, that we can continue to persevere and help each other, but also help those who are lost uh, to come and connect to you. Thank you for your son. We do not deserve his love, but yet you lavish it on us. God, I pray that you can be with us for the rest of the day, be with our time as we commune with you. In your heavenly son's name, amen.